Let's Talk JMMA with Charlie Jewett from Sogo-Kaku.com. This is a podcast about the deep end of Japanese combat sports scene. I'm your host, Shu Hirata from On the Road Management. Now, let's begin. Hey, good morning, Charlie. Good evening, Shu. How are things over in New York? Good, good. I've been so busy, and I totally made a mistake on my time difference. <laughs> I thought oh, it was yeah, a little yeah. later. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. No, go ahead. You've, you've been flying around. You're going to get lost. Oh, yeah, I know. I've been going too many, too many places. So let's talk about the our first subject, which is weekly post article on Rising. Mm-hmm. It came out last week, and it's it's the popular weekly magazines. I believe it's the probably second or largest selling uh, a popular uh, weekly magazine in Japan. And it came up with an article that says that Sakakiba is right now in Sakakiba, who is the head of Rising, is in trouble with one of the right. journalists, quote unquote journalists. And according to that journalist, he had this recording of Sakakibara admitting having a relationship with Mr. Y in this article. Right. <laughs> and it was described as X is a journalist, Y, y is the, um, uh, the person who is... Yeah, there's, so there's several people included. So if I, maybe I can explain. So it seems yeah. like... There's Sakakibara. Yeah. And then there's somebody that works with Sakakibara who's unnamed. Yes, actually, that's, that's the Mr. Y on this article. Yes. If who and then there's sort of the work for yeah. Rising, but the business card, none of that. Right. And then there's a Yakuza person who's like Mr. X or something. No, Mr. X is actually in this article is a journalist. Oh, okay. journalist. Yeah. Who has recording of talking to Mr. Sakakibara. Asking okay. a questions that do you know this guy Mr. Y has a relationship with the Yakuza people, and why this guy Mr. Y is walking around saying working for what Rising, but does not have even have a business card, and so don't you know that he has a relationship with this Inagawa Kai, which is one of the big uh, Yakuza in in Tokyo area, so, and then Sakakiba on this recording admitted that yes, I know that. And this guy, Mr. Y, knows that he really can't be carrying a rising business card, go around doing businesses because he has he understands there's a little issues. So he admitted Is there another issue yeah. that I read where the journalist was blackmailing Sakakibara to exactly. pay him this is what not release the news story. Well, this is the story. According to this article, okay, because uh, they asked Mr. Sakakibara what's going on, and he says that what happened, oh, actually, the journalist first, X, what happened was the Sakakibara offered, uh, you know, five, five million yen, which is about a little bit less than $50,000, to, to not publish this article. So Mr. X, which is a journalist, took the money and, and said, forget it, I won't publish this. But after that, then, the, and Mr. Sakakibara realized that that's a blackmailing. Because this guy just shows up and says, hey, you know, you're going to have to pay me. Otherwise, I'll publish this. It's not exactly the way it happened is what yeah. Mr. X claims. So right now, Mr. Sakakibara cannot talk to the media because the whole case is in, in, in consulting stage with the police force. See if he's going to even, you know, file the claim and that blah, blah, blah. So this article is a little confusing in a way. So there's multiple people involved, but the whole thing they wanted to try to point out is that they're trying to say that Mr. Sakakiba still has the relationship with the underworld. But this right. article is saying that he has a, a person named Y who does the work for Rising, who has that relationship with the underworld. So Mr. Y himself is actually not a Yakuza either. So, right, right. Yeah, it seemed but, like there was like, it seemed like Mr. Y is kind of like a buffer. He's a buffer. Yes. What the article is trying to allege is that like there's a guy that works with Sakakibara who deals with that stuff, but it's not Sakakibara himself. Exactly. But, right. And do you know who that person Y is? No, I do not. Yeah, I know, which I'll tell you later. Um, <laughs> this person were, were involved. For quite a while, you know, and uh, he is not Yakuza, but he does have, you know, some relationship with little 
not so good people. That's all. Yeah. You know? So I, I don't know why he has to step in to do any cleaning or whatever the negotiations he had to do. I have no idea. And uh, I know this person X is so-called black journalist who supposedly worked for some economic magazine, but I think obviously he's not a real journalist. He's taking like a little less than $50,000 to knock off an article, right? Right. So It seems like he just tries to find dirt on people and get paid. Yeah, exactly. Not- That's what it is. And yeah, so I, I think, and I think this is a whole article leads to is try to imply the fact that the same thing happened to Pride might happened to rise in that's how the article has ended it because they mentioned that you know how you know pride was forced to you know i mean actually Fuji television was forced to cancel the pride broadcast due to the article written by shukan gendai at the time and uh yeah so it's the same art it's the same paper that released the article about pride right uh uh, is it like i'm not really sure was it I thought I read that. I might be wrong. But. Okay, Gendai or Post. But anyway, we can check on that. But anyway, but I think the situation is a huge difference right now. It's, it's a big difference right now because back then in, in prior days, they were relying on Fuji Television, period. The money right. coming in from Fuji Television, sponsorship, the score through Fuji Television, blah, blah, blah. It's 2022. They have a Unex. They have a, a Bema out there. You know, They have a streaming companies who is you know, generating in in the same, almost same kind of money. And, and the money Fuji Television is paying rising is not as great as the Pride days. So, right. yeah. you know, sure, the sponsorship is, you, know, you get a big sponsor if you're on so-called national television. So in that sense, yes, sponsorship is a little bit of an issue, but I think their business model is not totally relying on Fuji Television. So maybe you could thank the pandemic for part of that because yes. during the pandemic, they really diversified their income stream. Uh-huh. And I doubt their sponsors like Weed Plus care that much. <laughs> like they seem to have more understanding sponsors. Right, right. So now what what do you think? What's the general I mean, it's not that many people in, in outside of Japan is really talking about this article, right? In terms of like I, don't think, I honestly don't think many people are talking about it in Japan. Oh, really? So yeah, I, I haven't noticed on Twitter or Facebook or anything. I haven't noticed really any, except for people that are like diehard fans. I haven't really noticed anyone talking about it. So I guess it's not really hurting rising much then or the yeah. match 2022, because in this article, they mentioned the Sakakipa as a, the promoter of yeah. rising, but also the a good, you know, excellent, excellent promoter who made this the match 2018 to happen, you know? Because I think so, in the article, the pictures are like pictures of Takaru and Tenshin because the match mm-hmm. is coming up. But A, I don't think you can damage the match because there's just too much money to be made by everyone involved. Mm-hmm. So I don't think they're going to let that not happen. It's already sold out. So that's going to happen, in my opinion. And do you think there's a case of this already happened with Pride? So it's not like it doesn't have the same shock value as it did back then? And the fact yeah. is that it's not like Sakakiba is directly talking to Yakuza people. Right. And the, this person, why is not even the Yakuza person. So he's just a buffer. So it's not yeah. that big a deal, I think, you know? And, 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 is it like a weird case of naive, like people being too naive to think that organized crime isn't involved in some form in professional sports? Well, no, here's what it is. In Japan, I, I wouldn't say about professional sports because you got cleaned up a lot, but in terms mm-hmm. of entertainment business, I mean, you knew from days ago, days ago, there was always Yakuza involved. There was always, you know, very famous singer whose younger brother is Yakuza. You know, kind of stuff, you know? So it's, it's I would say it's common. And, you know. Because I, I say, like, I've been to a ton of show, MMA fights in Japan. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you just, like, you not know, maybe more back, like, 10 years ago, you go to these events and you just see, like, a bunch of suspicious-looking dudes sitting in the front row or talking to the promoter before or after the events. It's like, oh, those seem like interesting people. Right. I think I think the most famous one out of that is the uh, Mr. Momose, who used to sit on the uh, ring side of the pride. You know, like the guy right. with the cap. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, the guy who, who, you know, all the fighters yeah. comes to him after the fight and bows and stuff like that. And that I mean, guy was turned up dead in the bathtub. So. There's articles about that guy. He, there was, I think, Major publications just talked about who is the guy with the hat ringside. <laughs> so he was a big deal. And then what is it? The um, 
I mean, a classic example would be the old Boncho days. I mean, when he fought, the entire – everyone sitting ringside were all Yakuza. Half their faces were blurred out in the Dream VTRs. Right. And, uh, I mean, when you go back even more, like in the birth of a Japanese pro wrestling, like Ricky Dozan days, yeah. it was obvious it was all controlled by, um, you know, I wouldn't say all controlled by Yakuza, but most of the shows were, you know, entertainment events were promotions were always controlled by or some involvement with Yakuza. You know? For those that don't know, Ricky Dozan was actually killed by Yakuza, wasn't he? Yeah, he was killed. He was stabbed, right, by yeah. Yakuza. Right. But more than anything, I don't know. Have you ever read the book called Tokyo Underworld by Robert Whiting? I think you said, I think you recommended yeah, it. Yeah, like, go even going into even deeper in, in a sense that Ricky Dozan even used to host a, a illegal gambling uh, uh, you know, thing in his own home. And his his yeah. young pro wrestlers were uh, holding shotguns as playing as a guard, you know, as a bodyguard and stuff. And this is the country where there's a strict gun control. So right, right. their guns, you know. I mean, that's really bad, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so I mean, it's not like that anymore because right now, I think from I would say two thousand nineteen nineties, the law has changed. They made everything very difficult for Yakuza. Right now, right. Yakuza cannot even give you a business card. If you, they give you a business card, that Yakuza could get arrested because that could be a sign of extortion. And I, missed- I know one ex-Yakuza who sent a flower to one of uh, his friend who opened the shop, and he mm-hmm. almost got arrested because oh, wow. you know, sending flower could be considered as an extortion too. So the businesses are very, very difficult for Yakuza now in Japan. I was just... Because I know Kodakuen Hall has like an off-track horse gambling right next to it. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. And it's like there's no way that's clean. <laughs> like, there's, just, there's always like a giant line of degenerate gamblers just waiting yeah. and watching yeah. horse races. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, so the bottom line here to go back to this subject, uh, it's not really saying anything about Sakuraba having any direct relationship to the underworld, and I guess it's not really affecting anything with the Fuji Television or so, oh, the match. 2022 coming up so i guess it was just a one article that's it <laughs> you know i think there's a bunch going on in the news i don't think it really picked up i think I mean, yeah actually I mean, yeah, ukraine true. stuff seems to be dominating the news over here so i don't think people are just willing to that's true they didn't get their attention that is true Plus, because, yeah you know almost really, any names outside of sakakibara it seems kind of a little too hypothetical yeah, that's true. And in the general public now, still following the story about the, those missing people on the boat in Hokkaido, and also mm-hmm. the the girls, you know, the bones they found, the match yeah, that the girl who's been missing for a while, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. the, the the general public doesn't care. <laughs> it right. seems like you know. Well, there's other so to them more important news stories than exactly news. right. <laughs> so. Let's get into the next subject, which is I think we should talk about this is deep fly deep jewels flyweight tourney. Yes. Miss Lin Nakai, our favorite, dominated mm-hmm. that tournament. And I yes. guess it wasn't even close, basically, right? I mean, like even in the final against Shizuka Sugiyama. I'm I was kind of worried because the tournament like fell apart at every stage. Mm-hmm. In the the first round, two fighters dropped out. And then Kuriyama missed weight, so she couldn't fight in the semifinals. Mm-hmm. So Rindakai was actually the only person to fight in the opening round, semifinals, and finals. <laughs> so it seemed like weird. But um, yeah, she absolutely dominated. She looked great. I think she said she was injured going into the last one. But her... I mean, she dominated. Kuriyama yeah. was the last one to fight. So there's nobody else for her to fight since Kana is in Bellator. She uh, Saiki afterwards in the media scrum was saying like, if she wants to go fight in the UFC, that's fine. If she wants to go fight in bigger promotions, that's fine. But if she stays here, I'm gonna have to bring in foreign talent for her to fight because there's no one in Japan right. at her level. Right. And uh, this will relate to the next subject, but Saiki also revealed that you know usually when you win tournament or win belt or whatever. There's some clause in the contract says, you know, you, you get a couple fights extra or yeah. exclusive negotiation period or matching period or whatever. But from the very beginning, Saiki offered uh, a deal in a way that she could walk immediately. 
because she is the face of this tournament. So he needed her. You know, without her, this tournament never made sense. So from promoter's point of view, he was okay to take that so-called quote-unquote risk of losing a champion immediately. It was a smart move because she and her management have always been opposed to being held down, I would say, by a contract. So if you want her in your contract, you kind of almost have to say, you can leave whenever you want. Well, yes, exactly right. But technically, I don't think it's her management who well, man, doesn't want to Whoever's directing her, her coach. Because yeah. which leads to the next subject, because Rin Nakai, day after Deep Jewels, when she won, she announces on Twitter that she has terminated the contract with the management. And now she's completely a free agent. And she basically yeah. said in a Japanese word, kaijo, meaning like you basically say, I, I fire my manager. Right. I'm a free agent. Now, then I actually pointed out on Twitter that, you know, hey, listen, it's not like you became free agent when you have no contract with other promotions, right? When you're done with exclusive, down with the matching period, then you're a free agent. You know, it's not like you fired management, you became free agent. You know, that's a different thing, right? Because then it's funny thing is I think Mr. Lee Nakai or Usami read that my Twitter and he immediately tweeted and says that, oh, exclusive negotiation period, matching period, they're all done. That's why we're free agent, right? But mm-hmm. from the very beginning, there's nothing like that clause on that contract because it's how it can be revealed. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a real, I, I don't understand what he, he's thinking. Does he really understand about the contract, you know? Well, seems like a weird situation because when I was at Deep Jewels, I saw mm-hmm. him talking to Sayaki, mm-hmm. and they seemed very friendly. They seemed like they were on good terms. And I don't think she – they also thank Deep Jewels a lot. I think this is just part of their attempt to go to the UFC. And mm-hmm. I wonder if what happened was they spoke to the management company, which I don't think along with anyway. <laughs> it's the same management company. I think it's just called Athlete, Athlete Marketing or something. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same company that Kana Asakura is with. Sure. And I imagine what happened is they won the tournament and they were like, we want to go to the UFC. Mm-hmm. And the, they were like, you can't do that. So they fired them. That, that's like my theory is that the management didn't offer to help them get into the UFC. You can do that because of what reason, right? I mean, are they right. saying, that, oh, are we contact the UFC, but they say no? Or are they saying like, no, 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 let's just stay in Japan or we'll go somewhere else? There has to be a reason they got rid of them, and I just they're they're very one sided. Like all they think about is the UFC. It's all they care about. Mm-hmm. Then why not just contact UFC and find out if they're even interested? If they say no, then throw a question and say like, "What do we have to do to get your attention?" You know, right? Exactly. That's it. And that I don't think they even get to that point. You know what I mean? Right. Well, they're kind of in an interesting position because when I interviewed them, they were like, we want to train in the U.S. And I was like, oh, where do you want to go? And it seemed like they were waiting for someone to invite them to come train. Okay. And I was like, I feel like you need to take the initiative. And if you want to do this, you need to figure it out yourself and not just sit back and wait. You know, Charlie, let me tell you this. There's something about the Japanese MMA fighter, I'm going to talk about this, that they're a little bit not, doesn't have a sense of professionalism in a way that most of the fighters are used to do everything for free. You know, okay. like some of them don't even pay coaches, you know, because the fact that you don't make that much money, you know, right. some of them hires or work with the, you know, SNDC coach or striking coach, whatever it is, but it's all arranged by the master or teacher or whatever, you know? So you're used to not pay anything. You go around and train at the different gyms. You see that with all the professional fighters right now, right? Do you know anyone paying dues to those, any gyms they go to? Probably no. They think, oh, I'm a pro. So I deserve to, you know, get that. Now, so they think if you're good enough, they sit around, and then somebody will come to you, you know, riding a white horse. It will show up and offer you something fantastic. Now, that doesn't happen, right? 
most of them. It's, it seems oh. like a very rare... Why would you put your career in someone else's hands? Why wouldn't yeah. you try to take control of it yourself? Now, now, here is my point. Then the word sponsors became very valuable from fighters' point of view. So mm-hmm. most of the fighters get the sponsorship from the younger stage of the career. And most of them are merchandise only. They're not getting any pay, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's a very interesting phenomenon. Once you start free, you stay free for a long, long time. Right. You ask for a little bit of money, they say no. Now you want to change sponsorship? You know, the guy says, okay, you can't help it, go ahead. You know, to the fighter, but behind fighters' back, they always go around and says, ah, oh, man, this guy just betrayed me, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Pretty interesting, right? That happens in Japan. Another yeah. thing that's very, very interesting is this. So some sponsors who give you merchandise-only sponsorship, they don't even give you too many merchandise. They give you little merchandise when the fight time comes. And the, right. some fighters, this is a fun part. I, I wouldn't say fun. It's a very peculiar part. When you go pick up that merchandise for free, you know, like a couple of weeks before the fight, most of the American fighters shows up and get all the merchandise. They'll ask, oh, can I have this? Can I have that? Right? No, Japanese fighters are not like that. They go show up. They probably stop by a nice uh, place and pick up some uh, Okashi candy box or something nice. And they go over there and say, thank you very much and give them a gift and they receive the merchandise. <laughs> and when you really realize that this gift you're going to bring sometimes is more expensive than the actual merchandise you receive. You know, right. so then people start realize like, well, why is this like a sponsorship kind of stuff, you know? So this quote unquote sponsor is very overrated mm-hmm. and fighters, fighters are taking the wrong way. And they're hoping that if they sit around and they hang out with them and they come someday or give you a lot of money and take you to America and train and blah, blah, blah. So it's just not realistic, you know? Yeah. I mean, it seems like in Japan, you almost kind of want, there's a, a select few sponsors where the owners just love MMA and are willing to pay the fighters to train. And that seems like this, people used to be catering more than these kind of crappy merchandising sponsors. Then one thing I'm telling you right now, Charlie, mm-hmm. this week I got to call a couple of my Japanese clients and kind of have to explain this one thing. Like fighters just jump onto any sponsorship. They're like, oh, I sponsor you. I'll give you. Oh, wow, that's great. You know, one fighter, couple fighters, clients, they're getting really, really good money from one apparel sponsor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Really good money for Japanese stuff. Actually, good money for even UFC standard. Right. It's non-exclusive because they're nice, right? Right. So without telling me or telling that sponsor, they really shouldn't go and wear somebody else's clothes and be on somebody else's Instagram, right? But they do that. I'm like, why? And I, every time I ask them, oh, are they offering good money? It's like, no. Somebody comes in and says, it's a merchandiser, so I thought it's cool. You know, more sponsors, better, right? But, you know, when you really <laughs> no, exactly, and 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 that's like I mean, do you, I mean, I always end up telling my clients like, do you really need free clothes? Why don't you go to Uniqlo? It's cheap and it's good. <laughs> well, I have two examples. I mean, um, I live, I think I live close to one of your clients. I live close to Seki, mm-hmm. who just fought at Landmark. Yeah, and that guy is a walking billboard because I see him yeah. by the station, like Marion. Marion shirt, yeah. Marion pants. And then there's another fighter who you don't represent. And that is um, Saudi Oshima, who I've met mm-hmm. several times. It is mm-hmm. Marion shirt, Marion hat. So they seem to like have the idea of these people are paying to sponsor me. I'm going to wear their outfits all the time and make I, them realize I'm a valuable investment. See, like <laughs> Seiki, actually, Tetsuya Seiki is one of the actually very few fighters who has a head coach which is Ken Yasuda. And mm-hmm. Ken, I, I don't mean to be in a bad way, but in a good way, does control lots of his behavior and his life when it comes to right. fight businesses. So me and Ken had a long talk with Tetsuya and explained about sponsorship and everything. So so he understands. He understands he's getting us merchandises and the fee. The fee is very good compared to anything you can get out there. So yeah. come on, then you have to, right? Be appreciative. <laughs> You don't go around and wear somebody other competitors' 
t-shirts, right? You also, because Marion has kind of, they're all over the fight game. If you go to any fight show, you can see their people because they, they hire their own photographer who comes to the events to take promotional pictures for their own goods. Right. So they're obviously very clearly interested in it. So if I was a fighter, I would think they're very interested. They're probably looking at all of our social medias. Right. And, and seeing exactly. if wearing the outfits. How would you feel if you're a president of a Mario Opera who's cutting a check? I mean, wiring money, whatever. I mean, seeing the next day, this guy's wearing some like unknown streetwear clothes on some Instagram. Yeah. Like, no big deal. I mean, like, like, do you feel like you want to give him more money or the raise? You know, I mean, like, a non a non Marian example would be um, Itsuki Hirata mm-hmm. and uh, Kinoshita in Pancrase. They both have a sponsor called Rebellious. Yes, Rebellious Behavior. And she wears Rebellious all the time. You can see that, and they do events that she goes to. And when I was at the Pancrase event, Kinoshita was wearing a bunch of Pan, uh, Rebellious. So not just Marion, there are some interesting clothing brands that are, I think, paying pretty good money to some of the fighters. Exactly. The point is this. Yeah. We all know like sponsorship in the US is like has bubble has burst it. So like a couple hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, whatever thousand. Compared to that, both both those I won't reveal how much both of those sponsors pay very good money. You know? Mm-hmm. So you have to understand that's way more than just the merchandise only. Because they're giving a merchandise plus the money, you know? I was thinking because Itsuki Hirata is very popular. I mean, she has a monster sponsorship. So if this is her clothing sponsor who appear, I've been to the Rebellious events in their store. I mean, they use her as the model. She's like in their magazines and everything. They must be paying her something for her to be doing this. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, exactly. So in the same way. So I think that I want to get to another point where even Saiki has said that on this YouTube thing with uh, Mr. Kenji Osawa, that Japanese fighters doesn't have any culture to pay to get better. I mean, when you get right. the American fighters, when you belong to some team, I see those guys pay extra for coaches. You know, some mm-hmm. coaches, they feel they're needed. You know, like, what do you expect? Right? You go hire some, like, professional, you expect to do free. You know? Like, yeah. So, you know, you, they don't like, have that culture. I always see American fighters seem to be paying for private lessons with specialty coaches. All the time. All the time. Exactly. Right. But in Japan, they don't even do that. And, you know, I give you one example. And this is a really funny story. I can't believe you know names. Now, let's say you book private lessons. Let's say you get sick or, you know, get caught in traffic, whatever, and you have to cancel on that day, like a few hours. Of course, yeah. you get charged because the same day charge, right? Right. But in Japan, what happens? This fighter will cry to the master and say, I can't believe this coach tried to charge me. I got sick. I'm going to have to pay for, you know, what in Japanese culture would do. He will call that coach and say, all right, you know, let's not charge her because she just got sick and blah, blah, blah. But I don't think it's the right way. You should have to teach her. You hire somebody pro. If you cancel on that, then you're going to have to pay for it. You know, yeah. I mean, but I, I guess it's a different mentality. But in Japan, that happens all the time. <laughs> You know, it's interesting because I have noticed, at least in my what I what I see, kind of in my sphere, um, Mm -hmm. I'm noticing a lot more cross training in Japan, where fighters are going to other gyms to train, which seems like it wasn't that common ten years ago. No, so So majority fighters are player slash manager. You know. When you're like young, I think that's in, almost impossible. Like when you're younger, part of the career. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I could see that if you're a veteran, if you think you you know you know what's going on enough, right? But let's say if you're like a couple of years into this sports, how can you go without a head coach, without a proper right. guidance? Right. But you know, I can't again. I won't name names. But most of the fighters, they don't have the head coach. They go to like four, five, six different gyms try to join their specific classes or pro training, you know? So it's really funny when the Japanese fighter says, oh, I sparred with them, I spar." That's actually, they join a light sparring class. It's not like how you see a real sparring, sparring you see on Saturday afternoon when they do, you know, five minutes, three rounds, like a fight kind of way. So it's it's, it's different. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I hope 
you know, right now it's the trend, as you can see, you know, a lot of Japanese fighters are not training in the U.S., right? You see, right, right. I Asakura in Vegas. I, I see, uh, you know, Mikuru in Hawaii. Mikuru in Hawaii, whatever. Uh, but most of them are like only a month. I'm okay with only one month, really. So you today, know? my my wife came to me all excited. She wanted to show me a video in the morning. So we watched Kai Asakura was in Vegas with your client. Kanako. Mm -hmm. And I think he said in the video that he actually plans to move back to Vegas. It seems like he wants to go there and train full time after this short trip. But let's see if that becomes a reality or not. One thing about it is this. If he wants to go to Vegas, I think the main question is which team is he going to pick? Which head coach is he going to work with? Right. I think he's just... They're excited now that he get to see a nice facility and bumped into Mirab and Aljamain and many known fighters, you know, got to roll with them and blah, blah, blah. And you get to see your CPIO, what a nice facility is, you know, I'm highly motivated. But I think he's missing the point where where he's going to join. What? Team, right. you know, if he's going to come to America, move to the same thing, like going different teams, just join the training that he feels he needed. I'm not sure that's the right way to do it. I don't think it's the right way, you know? Well, that's why I was kind of initially more interested in Mikuru because it sounded like Mikuru was going to go train with Max Holloway in Hawaii, which seemed like an interesting choice. Mm -hmm. But now it looks like he's just more on vacation. I don't think he's training that seriously. So. He mentioned, I think, uh, what's uh, Adesanya's team in New Zealand too earlier. I thought that would be a much more interesting choice, I thought. Me too. Yeah, you know, I mean, they have to go make a decision based on coach and the team. Yeah. You know, not the fancy facility or not the bunch of famous fighters they get to kind of roll with. You know? I, See, I hope I would, Kai doesn't make I'm that mistake. Them, I'd be wanting them to go to a gym where they're going to get the attention they need. Because exactly. at some of these giant gyms, they're just going to be ignored. And yeah, Exactly. I mean, if you have 70, 80 pro fighters, I mean, what do you expect? You know? No, that's why I wish, this is what I really wish. If Kai got the money and if he got his YouTube crew coming and you know, making videos and, you know, make the money enough to, you know, cover those expenses, he should go to a few other places and try. Not yeah. just the biggest. I mean, you know, that's like, you know, I'm not criticizing anything about teams in Vegas, but point is like where he's going to go, what he wants to do. Right. right. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing he really would be looking at. He could almost make it a YouTube series where he just went and did a week at a bunch of different gyms. If the, those gyms are willing to accept. Right. You know, I mean, you got to think that way. I mean, it's, like, you got to pay them, of course. I mean, and even though you pay them, it's not like they're really welcome to visiting fighters all the time. Mm -hmm. Because you, you, sometimes it's just not the right chemistry. You know, who knows, right? So, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. No, you'd be surprised. I mean, Right now, like Itsuki Hirata and Naoki Hirata is in uh, San Diego. And, you know, this is going to reveal, but I, I'm doing the arrangement for them. And I'm not their management, but I'm doing this because with Abema TV, it's the project we're working on. And there are going to be more fighters coming into trying at the different teams. Mm -hmm. Now, every time I try to cut the deal, call famous co coaches, I get no answer, no, many, many times because... Those coaches are busy. They have enough fighters. They just don't have enough yeah. on the schedule. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And think about that. I mean, even though Nothing I can... Personal, also... They just don't have the time to do exactly. this. Right. Mm -hmm. And for what month? You know, for what? You know? Mm -hmm. uh, we can feature in the Bama TV and blah, blah, blah. But it's just still not, you know? Mm -hmm. Attractive enough, I would say. You know? are, is she, are she and her brother training at 10th... They're training at 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu? In yes, San Diego? in San Diego for two weeks, and after that, they're flying to uh, New York, and they're going to join training at Sarongo for two weeks. Oh, that'll be so, some good sparring for uh, some of your teammate for uh, Mizuki and them. Yeah, Mizuki right now still recovering from her little injuries, so mm -hmm. maybe not. But we'll have some surprise for her, you know. But point yeah. is, just two weeks, you know, the two weeks, two weeks in two different places. So it's not like you know. She gets all nine yards, you know what I mean? Yeah. What's well, so I was laughing? Because when they said Kai is going to the U.S. for a month, I'm like, that's nothing. Like, training-wise, you're barely going to get used to it by the time you're done. Exactly. Training-wise, it's nothing. But but still, it's a start. 
Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but I, I wish, I wish he goes and see more deeper end, you know, go dive into more deeper end because what he's seeing is just the surface of it, the fancy part, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see, you know. But so yeah. you're going to start seeing a lot of fighters training in the U.S., but well, it's think, not like that. I think Kai and Mikuru are going to, have some effect where they're so influential in Japan. I think this is going to cause a bunch of young fighters to want to go train in the U.S. too. Oh yeah, of course, of course. Mm -hmm. And if Itsuki's doing it as well, and that airs on Abima, she's very popular as well. So I think it was, you might see a wave of Japanese fighters going to the U.S. to train. I think Sasuke has been training in Syndicate too. So mm -hmm. I mean, but you know, here's what it is: when I we decided to do this uh, work, uh, project with Abema TV. One thing I pointed out to everybody is like, I don't want to create a big hit Japanese who just spends six, like 30 days in America and go back to Japan and act like he knows everything. And every yeah. word he says, like, oh, America is this, America is that. Right. You know, you only be for three days. You barely know anything, right? Really. Yeah. So I said, if you're serious about this, the first one month, the second, you have to come back to three months. Then mm -hmm. third time when you come back, that's when you actually even have to quit your team in Japan and join team. You know, by right. then you decide which team you want to join. You know what I mean? So that's mm -hmm. has to be the right way. But we'll see. Right. That's how it's going to go. You know? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, even the second three-month period, if you could do that, I, I want to even book a, a fight at the end of three months for these fighters. So they can even fight in, you know, like some local shows here, like Titan, mm -hmm. CFFC, Maybe can bring in a deal to those promotions to do a, a broadcast in Japan into Abema TV. So yeah. that makes sense, right? So, so let me think. So, so we, we have oh. Naoki back in the U.S. training. Naoki, you know where? Yeah, he's back in the U.S. Yeah. training now, right? Back in U.S. training. And Ren Hidamoto is training at, I mean, he's part of the Milwaukee, what do they have? Uh, Duke Rufus. Yeah, no, he, he decided to not go back to the next fight. He has next fight confirmed, and after the next fight, he'll probably go back. Okay. Yeah. And so then we have uh, Kanako is in Las Vegas. So there's already like a little network developing of Japanese fighters in the U.S. Yeah, Kanako is in Vegas, and Takashi Sato is in Sanford, MMA in Florida. Okay. Yeah. So... Yeah, there's a little network of those Japanese fighters, but you gotta understand there's a huge difference between those. Kanako, Sato, Mizuki, Naoki. Those fighters are here living permanent, you know, part right. time. You know, it's not like oh a one month or two months or three months, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know? And you know but, like for example, Mizuki, she hasn't even gone back to Japan, not even a day for the last three years. That's right. a huge difference. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was just saying, like, because they all started out, I think they all started out little at first, so maybe some of these fighters can become like that or interesting. Yeah, I think the biggest the biggest hurdle is the visa. Yeah. You know, after all, you can't stay more than three months. Let's say if you right. know you get a B1, B2 visa, that's still six months. You know what I mean? Right. And all one visa is going to cost you about 6000 bucks in about three months. You know what I mean? That mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So, again, like back to Miss Rin Nakai, if they, they want to go and move to the U.S. and do this, and, you know, they need some money, you know? Right. Well, she got 10000 for winning the tournament, so there's her visa. <laughs> yeah, but still, you know what? sad thing is 10000 right now. Yen is so cheap right yeah. now compared to dollars. So, yeah, I mean, that's barely for visa. That's it. Not enough for plane to get there in the first yeah. few months with food, you know, housing, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. training. And if the her coach wants to come, that's double of everything. Right. Yeah. Just the so. thing because you had to wonder if some of these fighters, because I think Kana Watanabe won over the weekend. Yeah, so and... let's talk about that. Let's talk about something positive. Yes, Kana Watanabe and Tatsuro Kaira both won. Yeah, I was talking to my wife and my friends. It was like a much needed, a much needed, um, what do I say? A much needed boost to Japanese morale because before then, Japanese Everybody fighters are just all of abroad. Right. <laughs> so it's nice to see some wins. Now, honestly, what do you think about those two wins? Did you see those two fights? I watched both of them. Uh, Kazuna Watanabe's striking defense is absolutely horrible. I agree. 
Um, her opponent tried to do what Liz Carmouche did mm -hmm. when she fought Kana, which is just as soon as the fight starts, mm -hmm. you can run and hit her. And she yeah. has no head movement, so she's exactly. very hittable. Her opponent almost knocked her out. Kana Watanabe yeah. was on wobbly legs in the first four yeah. seconds of the fight. Right. But then she managed to be turned into a judo affair. But the biggest lesson to me was, yeah, she won, but her striking looks awful. Right. And, and then Tyler. Like, yeah, go ahead. Now, Taito won, but it was a weird win for me because I was very happy that he won, but it was also he had a bunch of chances to finish his opponent and didn't. Mm -hmm. Especially he had several times where he had the back mount, where he had the opponent's arm tracked in his legs, mm -hmm. and he still wasn't able to finish it with the choke. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that his opponent, I'm being overly critical, but his opponent was able to take him down several times Mm -hmm. I was just wondering, and he also looked like he was—he went for a guillotine several times, mm -hmm. and it was fine in this fight. But I was trying to think of like the future and like potential holes that were shown in his game. So while he looked very good, I saw some things that need some work. I think. Yeah, I mean, I generally totally agree with everything what you say. Uh, in terms of the Kana Watanabe fight, I mean, she did not improve at all in terms of her striking, and right. she fought some. Fighter who has almost zero ground skill, face it. Right. Yeah. So, and it's not like a belt or flyweight. Women's flyweight is the deepest flyweight no. in, 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 in MMA. I mean, it became a champion in Victor, maybe a tougher, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, in that sense, I know, I know on the book, she beat what, number two? Is she ranked number two or number one, whatever? Yeah, she and was ranked so, like number two, number one. Yeah. yeah and she had tons of wins in kickboxing, like 40 plus fights. And Fine, everybody's in Japan is happy, but it's really nothing to be totally proud of. You know, it's not like, yeah, I, I, I don't know if the Kana has what it takes to beat Liz Kamush or, you know, anything yeah. like that. So, again, that's another girl. I really think that training in Japan is, I think there's a limit that she can get out there. Uh, she's well, she another. Clearly, she clearly needs to work on her striking defense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and it's obvious that. You know, I'll say this publicly for the first time. I don't think she's with the right coach because she hasn't improved anything, right? <laughs> you know, so yeah. so maybe it's time for her to change her scenery. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, I shouldn't say this too much, but you know, she's talented. So she, I feel like she just needs to go to a boxing or a kickboxing gym and just yeah. work on defense nonstop for like six weeks. <laughs> well, that too, right? At least. Something like that. Maybe she's doing so. We don't know anything about her training, sure. you know. But whatever that they're trying to do, it's not working, right? And I just, I just, based, off I just social, based off her social media, I don't get the impression that she really cross trains. It looks like she just pretty much trains at with Ueda and them. With fighters flow, fighters flow. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. And and I mean, to begin with, it's hard for women to get a good training partner in Japan to begin with, right? At that weight class. And, and you know, she's not exactly young. No. And I think she's a Japan's one of the very few talents who could fight in the world level. So I just wish she does something right for her career, you know? Even if she doesn't go abroad, I would like to see her train it like just off the top of my head, me, we has a bunch of flyweight women. Why wouldn't she go there for sparring partners and train with like right. Yukari Nabe and Shizuka Sugiyama and then right. but the point is then what is she going to still have Ueda as a head coach or just quit that and became Yamazaki became her head coach? That's what it is. I think right now I, like I said that Lala Fight is a player slash manager. But Kana mm -hmm. is one of the very few cases that she has a head coach. But I don't think her head coach is correct at this point of her career. No. Maybe up until a couple of fights ago. So maybe this is sometime. Maybe she needs to step up and change her training environment. I'm just saying that I'm just being critical because I really want all the Japanese fighters to win outside Japan. Yeah. I, I don't I, want it to sound like we're coming across as being net, overly critical. Mm -hmm. I want Kazuna Watanabe and I want Tyra to be win. I want them to become champions. Oh yeah, I want. I love to see Japanese champion, but. So, second, Tatsuro Taira, yeah, I think he won that fight fair and square. There's no doubt about that, you know? I think one judge gave 30-26. Yeah. Which I don't know why that judge gave 10-8 on the last round. I would have given 10-8 on the second round instead of the last. Right. Anyway, my biggest concern, did you realize that on the first round, he took too many left hands straight? 
right to the face. Yeah. He didn't see that straight coming at all. He wasn't getting hit. So I was a little bit concerned on that, you know? And yeah. on the first round, he did not dictate the pace. He never was he's he was back on the fence a lot. He, he didn't yes. have the center position. I know that's his fight style, but yeah. in UFC, it's it's hard to win like that. It really is. And and like you said, he, he was taken down a few times, almost got caught in guillotine. You know, of course he escaped well. But this yeah. is against the guy who is the bottom of flyweight division. Well, that's looking at the guy who's coming off of contenders, you know? So that was my whole thing was I was trying to gauge his win based off of what I assessed the level of his opponent was. And it's a guy that has not won in the UFC yet. I think he's 0-2 exactly. in right. the UFC. And before that, he was undefeated, but it was for a very minor promotion. And so I'm just trying to think, if he starts fighting ranked guys, what's this going to look like? Exactly. Here's what it is. Today's UFC, he still probably have to fight a couple of times to, to fight the ranked fighter. But like, mm -hmm. let's say in old days, like I, let's, for example, one example of my past clients, Yoshiyuki Zenko Yoshida. First mm -hmm. fight, he fought the war machine, choked him <laughs> out in 56 seconds. Everybody thought, ah, that's a great thing. He may be the next champion, blah, blah, blah. Second fight, he gets knocked out like right cost check. You know what I mean? So yeah. UFC, it's a tough stage that if you win good, then it gets you real tough fights on the second fight. So in yeah. a way, I was actually happy the title won by decision, not like a real right. fantastic way because the matchmaker will still have to build him up. Instead of not going to throw him to the wolves yeah, immediately. throw him to the wolf immediately. So I think that's good. And I think it's good that he was able to experience the three rounds, right? So no more UFC jitters, you know? And it's good that he got hit a lot. So he, I think, knows that what's his problem, right? Mm -hmm. And... And he cannot be taken down by a guy like that because guys with a solid wrestling in that octagon will take him down very easy. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's what I was worried because the guy took him down, and to me, the UFC always in this lighter divisions, especially, has always got very strong wrestlers. Mm -hmm. So that seemed concerning to me. But he seemed, but I mean, his win was very impressive. It seemed he got stronger as the fight went on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very I'm impressive. He's not comfortable. Right. If he can keep he's improving, it looks like he has what it takes to be a good UFC fighter. He mm -hmm. needs to keep improving. And he needs to throw more jabs. He's got a right. good jab. I mean, it's a good thing he landed a right power punch, but yeah. he, he always not going to land that. And like, from now on, everybody's going to watch that punch. So he's going to have yeah. to come up with something else, too. So, you know, it's just yeah, it going to be a tough road. But yeah, hopefully he will do well, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, let, let's talk about another flyweight, deep flyweight champion, uh, Shinryu Makoto, who won, right? Looked awesome. Looked very what awesome. Him? I think he, so he was kind of this weird guy, right? Who fought in, he fought in Rising once or twice. What did he do? Um, once. Right. And kind of flew under the radar. But ever since then, he's kind of been on a tear. He's been destroying his opponents. Right, so how much do you know about Shin Yu? I've seen his fights. Okay, all right. So now, do you know Shin Yu was like a second in all Japan for wrestling when he was the last year of junior high school? I did not know that. Yeah, so he was number two in Japan, all of junior high school. And he instead of going to high school, he decided to be a pro. So he turned pro at age 15. <laughs> I love it. Now, okay. he took a long break. Before Fukuda fight, between Rising and Fukuda fight, 14 months to be precise. That's because he built his own gym. So he oh, has okay. the Hindi World Gym, which is in Sendai City, which is okay, the okay. hometown, right? So mm -hmm. he's the youngest MMA fighter to open his own gym in all of Japan. Oh, interesting. Well, that could be the Guinness Book of World Record, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, that's something <laughs> I might want to try to register. But anyway, another interesting story that he's, he has a father. Now, who's mm -hmm. young, obviously, because he's only 21. Shinji's only 21. Uh, and uh, father lost employer due to Tohoku earthquake. Literally okay. lost everybody by tsunami. Since then, he's been employed almost eight years. Shinji wow. has been very supportive of his father. Makoto opened the gym. The father works at the gym right now. So Makoto created a gym, created a job for the father. That's very and, nice. That's Right. Yeah, he came back and won, beat Fukuda, you know, beat Fujita, you know. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's interesting because it's like in Rising, Pancrase, and Deep, there's almost two cards that happen on them. Mm -hmm. There's fighters that these aren't people that are prospects. They're just on here to round out the card. They put on exciting fights, but these aren't future champions. Mm -hmm. And those are people that have like 50-50 records or things like that. But then when you look at the top part of the cards, you see people that are like undefeated. You see eight and ones. You see people that have lost one fight. And it looks like Shinya has been on the top part of the card fighting these good fighters. Oh, they have good records. Right. So it's not like he's been beating a bunch of bums. So that's why I'm kind of excited for his. Oh, he's been beating all the top guys. I mean, to right, be really right. honest with you, I don't mean to com- you know compare because Tatsuro or Shinya has to be the two top flyweights in Japan now, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, more than Tatsuro, Shinya has fought tougher guys. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, I'm not saying that he's better, but. Um, so anyway, so the only problem with Makoto is that he has too many decisions. Right. Mm-hmm. 13, one and one, 21 years old, right? Deep champion. So that sounds good enough to go to UFC, but Mick is very concerned that he has many decisions. But is that why he got the choke in his last fight? <laughs> exactly. We talked about it. We talked about it a lot. I talked to Shinryu a lot, and he's like, gonna have to be aggressive, you're gonna have to go for finish. So actually, from the rising fight fight and this last three fights i think he's been very aggressive and finished mm-hmm. two out of three in the last fight right. he had a four consecutive flying knees followed by a ninja choke so that's not bad right fujita's a tough guy so i mean that's a good win exactly right mm-hmm. so what do you think do you think he's ready for ufc it's just i almost don't like discussing if people are ready for the ufc it seems like a crazy thing but um <laughs> you know, i think he's Clearly, like he could fight in the UFC if it's the same caliber opponent as Tyra was fighting. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. he's ready to fight in the UFC. Yeah, I think so too. Um, is he ready to fight for the world title tomorrow? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. No, but if they not. build him up right, I think he could. I think he could fight in the UFC and do fine. Yeah, uh, my my only concern is that he may be a little bit smaller than the other guys, right? Because he's mm-hmm. not that big a flyweight, you know. Yeah. But I think he has a speed and solid wrestling skill, and he's actually acrobatic, right? And he he does very interesting moves. So, you know, hopefully, and he's only twenty one. Never had a real serious injuries. That's actually, you know, interesting. I have a question. So, uh, it sounds like is he one of your clients? Mm-hmm. I see on his page he's from Parestra Matsudo. It seems like Paresta has secretly been building up some young talent because isn't Taira oh, also a Paresta guy? Not Matsuno, but he's a good the Okinawa right. one. But it's the same yeah. network of gyms. Taira is from uh, Okinawa, and Shinji is actually not from uh, Paresta. He's okay. actually he actually trains at the, his own gym and also right. in Tokyo, Tribe Tokyo. Yochoma. I made the mistake of uh, I always forget that typology. You should just ignore the gym information because it's always wrong they never update that stuff but <laughs> well here's what it is though i i gotta mention this like like i always say like many japanese fighters are players slash manager many mm-hmm. guy doesn't have a head coach i would say less than 10 gyms in all of japan is a seriously mma gym that really seriously thinking about building a fighter i would right. say less than 10 head coaches you know mm-hmm. and one of the top guy i have to mention here is chona Chonan's Tribe Tokyo, you know, MMA has produced fighters to UFC, fighters to, you know, PFL, mm-hmm. fighters to one championship, fighters to all top promotion except Rising, which is well, fine. I remember because, you know, he developed, I think that's one of the reasons he opened Tribe Tokyo because he wanted to bring some of the training he had seen abroad into a gym because he, didn't, he wasn't seeing it in Japan. Exactly. And he wanted to build a professional fighter. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but many, many guys out there, like ex-fighter, like a Crusher Kawajiri or Eiji Mitsuoka or even Toikatsu, those guys have no intention building a fighter. It's right. all about gym, fitness, which is fine. You know what I mean? So to back to that, yeah, it's just less than 10 head coaches in Japan, all of Japan. So, of course, you know, having a difficulty winning, right, in a world level. I had something I wanted to ask you about. So. There's some interesting development from Deep Jewels as well, mm-hmm. where Saudi Oshima looked awesome. She absolutely destroyed her opponent. 
okay. and submitted her in the first round. Huh? But after the fight, she announced her future is kind of uncertain because her husband's a very high-level professional judo guy. And she said, ever since she started competing in MMA, he hasn't won. He's had very bad results. <laughs> and she's thinking, she's legitimately, because if he loses his judo job, they won't be able to live in Tokyo. He'll get, because he, he, he works for a company. In Japan, they have this thing where professional right, yeah. judo Over means right, yeah. big company hires you to work there, but you just spend your time training. Right. And then the it sounds like... And when you retire from judo, they just move you to a different position within the company. Right. But exactly. it sounds like right. if that happens, they won't be able to, they'll probably be moved outside of Tokyo. So she won't be able to train anymore is what she's saying. So I was just kind of, it seems like an interesting situation that doesn't happen in the U.S., these like corporate judo gigs. Well, if he, he her husband is, has a, enough of a outside judo network to score another job they can avoid that but i'm pretty sure all his career he has lived in judo world judo community got job all the networks are in judo world mm -hmm. so yeah i think it's going to be difficult yeah it's very interesting because you don't really hear corporate sports team in the states no and baseball you know has that wrestling has that you know that's one of the way for uh, athlete, top athletes in Japan after college to try to pursue their career. You know? Right, because I know Kana Watanabe worked for like the Japanese Railroad, and mm -hmm. she just was on their judo team. Right. And I know that um, Hime, who's a atom weight now in Deep Jewels, mm -hmm. played for like one of the corporate basketball teams. Right. So it's kind yeah. of an interesting culture that Japan has with these like corporate teams, but. It was you know, interesting because she said he hasn't done well since she started competing in MMA. But part of me, I looked at it. He also moved up in weight around the same time period. And I was well, thinking that's probably more significant than anything. I mean, unless if her training is distracting his training schedule, she yeah. can't be the reason. I mean, so it's just a, right. a phase or luck or whatever, right? So... Part of it is like, awesome. you can't be good at judo forever. You're going to age out of it eventually. And no, when you move up yeah, coach. Yeah. But I guess he's yeah. not like a real top guy then, right? Because he's a real, well, real he top guy. Uh, he won in all Japan. He won a world, I think he won in 2016. Okay, so he won. So that's that's he was an ex-champion, national yeah. champion. You know, he has good enough records where I'm like, why doesn't he just get a job teaching judo? You know, it seems I, like he'd be natural for that, but... If I born in America, live in America, I would have said ask the same question, but I know how Japan works and it's not that yeah, easy. It's easy. It's it's in, yeah, easy. I mean, if it's especially in the judo world, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean I was just interested in it because she's such a top talent. I'd hate to see her have to retire because of this. Yeah, exactly. So I mean it's it depends on how far she goes, but yeah, it's going to be very difficult for her to, you know, train, especially as a female MMA fighter in Japan. If yeah. you go outside to Tokyo or somewhere far from Tokyo. You know? Yeah, interesting. But I just, I was kind of interested in it. I was talking to Mark Pickering, who's a commentator over here, mm -hmm. who is a, really into the judo world. And he mm -hmm. was kind of explaining a little bit to me. Maybe I'll write an article about the corporate judo stuff in the future. But it seems like a very interesting little world that exists only in Japan. Yeah, it does. I mean, I don't know. There's also like baseball always did that. They have so many corporate teams, right? I mean, mm -hmm. even the professional team once tried to control our Dominican players building the baseball team in that part of the world and stuff like that. So co corporation would like to kind of control athletes sometimes. Right, right. I, I don't know why, but, you know, I guess they think it's a good uh, advertisement, you know? Well, yeah, because... Maybe for those that don't know, Japan has historically had like these giant companies mm -hmm. that do everything. It's like yeah, when you think of right, Mitsubishi yeah. in the US, it's like, oh, Mitsubishi sells cars. It's like in Japan, they sell everything. They do they everything. everything right? It's called Sogo Shosha. Yeah, they do everything. Making little That's business right. cars to, you know, importing tires to anything, right? Right. So, so all those giant companies have corporate teams, and that's what makes up a lot of these professional leagues, like these semi-professional leagues. 
Exactly. And then here's the issue, though, about that. That's actually with the Japan Nippon professional baseball, you know, NPB, too, is that all these corporations consider sports as an advertisement. Right. So they're not looking to make a business out of that sports business. And that's why they yeah. always, you know, assign president or general manager who has zero experience in running a baseball team. You know, they come in, you know, but now it's still changing. They start hiring a general manager who understands, but president usually has zero experience in you know, managing any of the sports league or any of that. So it's kind of the same attitude towards the other sports too, you know? It's funny because that, that in Japanese work culture, the way it is is you work for one of these giant companies and the giant company just moves you around randomly. Yeah. It seems almost without reason. It's like for two years you work in marketing and one year you work for sales. And then you do this. So it's kind of funny they do that with their sports teams. Yeah. I mean, do you know there's a famous guy in Japan airline back in the 70s? I think he was a union leader. And he was the very first guy who threatened an employer for strike. Oh, really? Yeah. Then you know what fucking Japan, excuse my language, you know what Japan airline did to him? After what? he resigned from union leader, he went back to his own job, right? Because he was, he was an elite Tokyo University graduate, you know, was a top guy. Was in like I think accounting department or something like that. You make him a janitor. Make him a janitor. <laughs> no, he. This is what they did. They they pushed him to like Iraq. I forgot like like Africa. Oh, yeah. All these countries like and and Japan airline had this basic rules that if you go that kind of remote part of the world, you don't go there more than two years. So you come back, right? right? But they make him go Egypt, all these places for like two years, two years, two years. Like, 10, 15, I forgot how many years. And he had to actually, him and his union leader had to go to parliament to make the case to make this guy come back. You know, that's, wow. that's terrible, right? That's terrible. That's terrible. Yeah, because yeah. my friend was laughing because her one of her coworkers just had a baby. And it's like, oh, you had a kid? Well, we're sending you to Russia. Good luck at the Russia office. <laughs> like, right, oh, exactly. Thank you. Right, that's why I think it's very common for a Japanese uh, businessman to go station alone. It's called tangible imprint. Right. You leave your parent, you know, like a wife and kids, wife and kids, you know, where you are, and you go by yourself. You know? Interesting. Yeah, it's it's like a, the company is forcing you to go separations. That would never happen in the states, right? I mean, yeah, well, never. Yeah. People would just quit. People would quit. Yeah, people would quit, but you just don't have a choice to quit because it's very hard to get the same kind of job or same yeah. job that the same condition. So maybe yeah, we can yeah. end up on maybe we can end up on the uh, close the show on. Do you have any final thoughts? The rough transition on the uh, landmark show. Oh Jesus! I forgot what that, that was. Uh, um, Over Golden Week. Luke against. What is it? Like, uh, Aguara, and then, uh, then there was a uh, Kudamoto versus Full Swing. Seki versus, I think it's one of them. Is his name like Haraguchi or Hagiwara or something? I his name. Haraguchi. Here's what it is. Okay, let's talk about that because it, there's two clients of ours fought in that mm -hmm. show. Kuramoto, I knew he had a knee problem. He had to get a shot and all kinds of stuff. So I was a little bit of concern, but I knew the full swing Roy is not exactly a grappler. Right. <laughs> He's not exactly a wrestler. And we know what to watch out, which is a full swing, right? Full right. swing punches. So Tell you what, I was on the edge of my seat that whole fight because of how full swing fights. You're like always exactly. nervous that the fight could be over at any second. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, that's that's one thing great about full swing because yeah, exactly. You know, he can win that fight anytime, right? Mm -hmm. And the falls, gloves. If you you know if you hit that hard, anyone will fall. So right. yeah, in that sense, Kuramoto's fight. I was a little bit nervous wrecking, but I I knew he was smart enough. You know, yeah. with the wrestling game and it also said, looked like. One point in time, like he tombstoned, yes, <laughs> like yes. he went for some crazy, like, well, I'm gonna do some fancy suplex and you know, something I've been working on, like and you know, just to concentrate on winning. But he did, you know, yeah. And oh. he promised to reveal his kids and wife all together after the fight, he wins, which he did. It's a great, I laughed know? so hard because you could hear what she was saying. Oh, really? Cold as ice. She like goes up, he goes up to her, and she's like, I could tell that you weren't able to train. I was like, ooh, cold as ice. <laughs> She's like, the know. first comment, super critical. Yes, that's what happens when you marry an Olympic gold medalist. Exactly. In the same sports, too. He is yes. just the national champion, not the Olympic champion, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. That, that was fun. Um, then 
I thought Hagiwara actually made it a little more exciting than I thought it was going to be. Right, because he did land that punch, you know? Yeah. You know, now like you a... told me before that fight that Clever seems like his uh, strategy is getting hit and wobble, yeah. but win. So Mr. Wobble. <laughs> exactly, right? It was like there's like a three second window where it was like, he might win this. He might win this. No, 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 he's not. He's down. (laughs) But that's a fight. I think that was a lose lose fight for Koike because everyone expected him to win the way he did. But it just revealed that his striking defense isn't that great. Hmm? Right. Because, and he still got hit by Hagiwara, which is not exactly the best striker ever. Right. So, I mean, he's a good striker. He's more of a brawler. Yeah. He's more more of a brawler. Right. Right. But, you know, still. You know, and you know, I think you know, if this goes, you know, you know, how like rising star booking fighters from outside of uh, Japan, so Hagira will yeah. maybe by next year, this year, he'll end up fighting for deep or somewhere else. Who knows? Right. Because unless he makes a vast improvement on wrestling and BJJ, he's not going to survive that long. They could just no, have him fight on the same cards as Yushi and, uh, <laughs> and all those people. Right, exactly. So then maybe the landmark can be that like half, maybe Ami. Yeah. Entertainment show. Yeah. But anyway, to close the show, so let me mention another client who fought in that show, Tetsuya Seki. You know, mm-hmm. when we confirmed that fight, we knew immediately Haraguchi is a wrestler. He's from mm-hmm. Raid. You know, like Miyata is an excellent coach. That's another team with the head coach and everything else. So I knew that his strategy is going to be trying to take him down, obviously, push him to the case. Right. So what we did was we went and hired Maximo Blanco as a special okay, coach. Okay. Yeah, so we made worked on privates you know just to concentrate on avoid takedowns you know and i'll go back to the feet and all kinds of stuff and and we paid him the fee because maximo is not that cheap we offered yeah. him negotiated him the fee and everything like that and this is the first time that seki has spent the money outside the regular training regimen you know and but that, that's when i spoke with both ken and seki that what are you going to do you're going to spend extra x amount of money and have lose this fight or or spend this money and have a more chance to win this fight and you win this finish bonus or win bonus or you get a better pay the next fight and i mean just a better investment and that you, investment, get back into the, you get another rising show like if you win right. his, so back, yeah. that investment turned out to be the good one because he won so in that sense i think i wanted other japanese fighters to realize that you have to spend money to get better you know you can't so, expect all the coaches to help you free you know I'd also add, it's not like his training with Maximo made him, he didn't stop all of the takedowns, but what I noticed was he seemed comfortable. And right. so he, he was always he was always throwing punches. He was reacting. Right. He didn't freak out. He handled uh-huh. the takedowns, and that's one right. of the fight because while, while his opponent got some takedowns, he wasn't able to do anything with them. Exactly. Seki so was always punching him. Right, because you, you're not going to make a vast improvement on four weeks, you know what I mean? So right. you have to expect to get taken down, right? But you have to feel comfortable both, you know, defending a shoot and also be, when you're back is on the mat, you know? So that's the kind of thing you need to spend a little extra money on, which I want the other fighters to realize because that's going to make a, a Japanese fighters a little bit better than today, I think. Yeah, you know? I agree. All right, so that's that's it for today. Yep. See you guys in two weeks. All right. So talk to you later. Talk to you later. Have a good day.